Like I said, it is so good to be back here in America after a very, very intensive and, and stretching and exhausting mission trip. It's the most intense mission trip I've ever been on. So glad that Adam and, and Rodney were with me. We'll be sharing testimony about that um, next, uh, next Sunday. Uh, but uh, just letting you guys know that as we were flying into LEX yesterday about this time, uh, Sunday after missing... Uh, church, it was just, it was rough on us, and uh, we really miss you all, and it's so good to be back. Uh, we are starting a brand new series, going to finish out the year. Uh, it's, it's called Seven Habits of a God-First Christian. Well, um, those of you that are visiting, uh, we have a year-long theme every year. This year was God-First. After all of the division and all of the stress and everything of 2020, 2021, where America was just at each other's throats and yelling at each other and churches were in battle and everything, we just said, you know, let's wipe this slate clean. Let's put God-First. What does it look like as a church to stop with all the stuff going out there and focus on God first? That's been the year theme. And so we're finishing up. Uh, this is about the seven habits of a God first Christian. And uh, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. This is one of Jesus' disciples wrote this, a second letter. And he writes this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. By the way, there are seven things there. there these were the building blocks of a God-first Christian. He goes on to write this, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting they have been cleansed from their past sins. So, um, these, these, these past two years have been extremely difficult. I, I, don't, I know that you guys have felt that too, but uh, been extremely difficult on everybody. And I found two news articles. Uh, I don't know if we have the pictures in there, but uh, uh, the first headline says this, COVID-19 pandemic triggers 25% increase in prevalence of anxiety and depression worldwide. 25% increase in anxiety and depression because of the year goings on of 2020 and 2021. The second one said this, psychological, not physical factors are linked to long COVID. So the study finds distress before COVID-19 infection increases risk of long COVID by 45%. So in other words, What's going on up here is affecting here. Worry and anxiety is actually making things so much worse. And so I want, that is the world we live in right now. And I want to suggest something better. I believe by going to the word of God, there's something much better than that. <clears throat> See, this, this stuff, anxiety, worry, depression, fear, that's all this world has to offer us. That's all it has. Under the guise of all the, the, the fun and the party and the materialism and the stuff and the advances, underneath that are a bunch of scared people because they do not have eternity in mind. And all it takes is the threat of death and this world cannot handle it. They panic, lapse into fear and worry mode. But God tells us to do something different. He says that we are to live by something very different. And that is faith. And the main thing today is faith and worry cannot coexist. One will defeat the other. Faith will defeat your worry or worry will defeat your faith. You cannot have both. 
Okay, uh, see the starting point for the God first Christian is faith. Faith is the foundation of your entire life is built on. Someone says, well, I have no faith. Well, how can I get it? Well, it's not something you can just reach out and grab. It's not even something you can ask for. God has to give it to you. God has to give you faith. You see, uh, before we can have faith, that we have to understand that he is reaching out to us. God right now, is reaching out to you. He was seeking you out. You think that you chose to come to church today? Uh-uh. No. You are here because the Holy Spirit of God got you out of bed and rolled you out of bed and eliminated all of your excuses. You are here by divine per, uh, appointment today because God is reaching out to you. See, there are three parts to this grace that God gives us. Three parts. See, there, there, the, the, the reason there are three parts because there are three types of people in here today. Well, the first part, the first person in here is, is a person who has not ever accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're a non-Christian. You may be wonderful, you may be kind, you may be loving, you may be a wonderful person, but the Bible refers to you as lost because you have never been cleansed of your sins. To the lost, God's grace is something different, okay? Uh, the lost, is, the theologian calls it prevenient grace. We call it God's seeking grace. God's seeking grace is running after you right now. First Peter 1 through 3 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In other words, through the power of God, we have this. So this is what seeking grace looks like. Like the song that we sing. The song that we sing. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You've been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed life in me. You have been so kind to me. And then the bridge says, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. Uh, authors have called this, this grace the hound of heaven, seeking you, chasing you, pursuing you, never letting you go, calling you, always, always calling you to repentance, calling you to Jesus Christ, calling you, pointing the goodness of, of Jesus Christ, pointing the futility of this world. That is God seeking grace, and he is doing that to you right now. If you are lost, that is how God is acting towards you. The Holy Spirit of God is saying, I'm calling you back. I'm showing you the evil and the bitterness and the anger and the brokenness in your life. And I'm calling you to something better named Jesus Christ. That's the first stage of grace. And when we respond to that, when we acknowledge our sin and, and, the, and the, uh, the, the blinders are taken off of our eyes, then, then, and, then we approach the throne of grace. We approach Christ and say, I need to be saved. I know, I know I'm, I'm lost. I know I need to be saved. I'm, I'm broken and, I, and I'm repentant and I need to come to you. And then the second stage of grace, this is called God's cleansing grace. It's also called justifying grace, okay? So he's seeking the lost and then he cleanses the found. So in other words, he, he, he wipes away every sin you've ever committed or will commit by going to the cross and, and, and by dying and being resurrected. He canceled all of your sin. He died for all of your sin. Jesus Christ did. And you are you're completely clean. You are completely justified. One, one of my professors said, when God cleanses you, he wraps all of your sins up and he throws them in the ocean and he puts a sign saying, no fishing. No fishing. You cannot go back to them. They're gone. Completely gone. Erased. As blank as the field I was looking at yesterday trying to hunt deer. It is gone. Okay? Zilch. He beat sin like Vandy beat UK. That's how bad God beat sin. Amen? That's exactly, that's what cleansing grace means. Okay? That's to the saved. 
And then so a lot of people like to stop there. 18th century revivalism in America just wanted people into the baptistry. Get them cleansed, get them baptized, get them baptized. And it's like birthing an infant and saying, hey, look how many kids we've had. Good luck, little infants. But that's not what God does. God says, no, now the real work begins because there's a third part to grace. It's called God's transforming grace or his sanctifying grace, the theologian, but we call it transforming grace, where God says, okay, you're cleansed now. Let's not go back to the stuff that you need to be cleansed from. Let's start changing your values, your priorities, your attitudes, your actions. Let's start changing all these things into someone that looks a lot like Jesus Christ. Let's, let's move his, the Holy Spirit begins to just clear out all the junk and all the bitterness and all the old habits and everything. And he begins to mold you and make you. And one of the joys of pastoring the same church for 14 years has been being able to see that in the lives of so many. Some of y'all walked in here a couple years ago, barely even knowing Jesus, if at all. And now you're leading ministries, you're leading families, or it's just amazing to see how God has transformed some of you. It's also one of the biggest discouragements as a pastor, seeing people that are the same way as they were, same brokenness, same issues, same problems as they had 10 years ago. They're resistant to God's transforming grace. And when we resist that kind of grace, people stay where they are. And that's how we get the stereotype of the hypocritical Christian. Well, you've been in church 20 years. You're no different than me. You've got the same mouth as me. You've got the same attitude as me. You've got the same brokenness. You've got the same everything. So what a bunch of hypocrites, people that, that resist God's transforming grace. And there, there are entire churches, one of which I was on staff at, that, that uh, was considered worse to judge evil than to commit evil. I, I was in, in uh, youth, uh, youth ministry, had a lot of kids in there, and a lot of them were not living a God-honoring lifestyle. They were out drinking, they were smoking pot, they were sleeping with each other and everything like that. And, and, and when I said, hey, this is against the word of God, you need to, this needs to be gone, this is sin, this is wrong, I was told by leadership, you're shaming the kids. You're judging them, you just need to affirm them, you need to make them feel welcome because you're just gonna push them away. And, and I, I said, so, the only real sin we can commit is calling sin a sin? That's what you're telling me. And they were like, yeah. Well, it's sad to say that very few of those kids today are walking with Jesus. Why would they? They were never called back from sin. They never shown what was right and wrong. Never, know, never knew why Jesus was necessary. Knew, never knew about the transforming power of Jesus Christ because we weren't allowed to show it to them. And so many of them are not walking with Jesus now. So we're called, saved, and transformed. And through that process, God lays a foundation of faith that we build our lives on. Unfortunately, so, so that's the process to, to getting faith. But unfortunately, there's a, there's a force that is opposing your faith today. And it's called worry. It's called worry. And I, I define worry as this. Worry is trusting in something they can't deliver. That's what it is. You have just as much trust as somebody that has faith in God. But you're just trusting in something they can't deliver. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus tells a story about a farmer that goes out to sow seed. He sows some on the hard path, and birds come and eat it. And he sows some in rocky soil, springs up quickly, but the, plant, the, the sun scorches it, lasts only a little time. And the third, he, he casts it into thorn-infested soil where the thorns grow up and choke it out. And the fourth one uh, it was good soil, was produced a crop. And he says this in Matthew 13, 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. See, worry is going to destroy your faith. It's going to keep it from growing. It's a force opposing your faith. Okay, and here's some signs that worry is taking over your life. These are three signs 
that I've seen in the lives of people who allow worry to choke out the word of God in their lives. The first one is this, is that there's, uh, there's sign number one, is more desire to control people and situations. That's the first sign of worry. See, we are in a culture that is obsessed with controlling the thoughts and speech and behavior of the people around them. You go to any university setting, you are not allowed to say certain things. You're not allowed to believe certain things. You're not, they're, they're, they enforce a conformity that is, that is psychotic to me. And it seems like that is a position of strength. That's a strong person controlling. No, that's a sign of worry because they can't handle anything other than their own rigid ideology. You can't handle, when you are a worry, you can't handle people deciding differently than you or valuing things other than what you value. You can't handle that. Um, you desire and demand conformity and homogeneity in belief and actions. You are not free to let people live and li let live. That's if you're a worrier. You bristle when other people have different views than you and, you and see it as a threat to everything you hold dear. And I found this to, to you worriers out there. God a lot of times will put you in a situation you can't control simply to show you the futility of it. Um, to, uh, last week, I was in a scary situation. We were, we had, we were on a plane from Abu Dhabi back flying in Chicago O'Hare. Supposed to be there at 4.40 in the afternoon. 15 hours on the plane. And I was seated next to a wonderful young couple with a seven-month-old. And the seven-month-old was a lot better behaved than a lot of the adults, I'll tell you that. But I earned the nickname Uncle Dave because they, they were from Abu Dhabi or something, but they recognized very quickly that, that the, the seven-month-old kept wanting to get in my lap. And, I, and I'm fine with that because in my family, I'm known as the baby whisperer. I'm able to get kids to stop crying. I don't know what it is. May, uh, but anyway, so the kid would cry, and they'd hand to me, and I'd stand up, and, and, and all, all the 23, uh, 23 years of parenting skills, I got, got them quiet. So everybody was laughing at me, like, oh, the kid's crying again, here comes Dave, you know. And I did that for 15 hours. So we were, it, we were looking forward to flying in. We could see Lake Michigan. We could see Chicago. Our ears were popping as we were coming in the flight. And then all of a sudden, we were thrown into the back of our seats as a pilot gunned the engine like this. I'm like, that's odd. And like, well, you know, maybe, maybe they missed the landing. Maybe, maybe they overshot. Maybe the, and the first officer, not the captain, but the first officer comes on and says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to try that approach again. <laughs> okay, you know, whatever. So... We, we feel it banking around. About 10 minutes later, we start our approach again. And this time, we get 400 yards off the ground. I mean, you could see, and all of a sudden, harder, the pilot guns it again. We're thrown back in our seats. I'm, I'm sitting by the wing, and I can see the wing shaking because of the power of the engine. I mean, he must have gunned it, floored it. To, to, and, and remember, this is an international flight. There's 550 people on this plane, we estimated. Huge plane. And, and, and this is, we're a little bit nervous this time. I was starting to think, is the landing gear not coming down? Um, is this, uh, you know, this is, this is dangerous. And I couldn't do anything. I can't land a plane. 
can't parachute out. I, 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 I'm absolutely, totally helpless here. And I begin, I, I kid you not, I, and then the first officer, not the captain, the first officer comes on and says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to try that again. I thought to myself, why isn't the captain speaking to us? Did something happen to the captain? And then my mind went back to my favorite movie, Airplane, Did He Eat the Fish? Are, are, are they going to start dragging, you know, pilots down the, down, is this what's going on here? And, I, I, and then, I, I kid you not, I kid you not, I said, I wonder if I told Donovan he would be the senior minister. Did, did, I, did I tell him that? Uh, and I, I seriously, I, I began thinking, if this is it, if this is my time, what a great time, Lord, to die after serving you on the mission field. And I started thinking about the preaching, I started thinking about the the, the, the baptisms, I started thinking about the connections, I started thinking about the joy in the face of the children in the, in the orphanage that this church is so amazingly supported. 171 children now with, with, with a roof over the head and food and clothes and they're clapping their joy because of your sacrifice and your funding. I started thinking about that and the 167 baptisms that happened because of, of the preaching that we had and I said, Lord, if this is it, this is great. A great time to go. He put me in a situation I couldn't control to show me the futility of worry. And the third time, in a way, and we got the, uh, we got the word from the, the captain, finally, said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's a gale coming in off of Lake Michigan. They've just closed Chicago. We have a wind shear of 50 miles per hour pushing straight down, and they've routed us to another airport, and that's why we weren't here on Sunday. But he'll put you in situations where you can't control simply to show you the futility of worry. Sometimes, you guys may be in that right now. God may be showing you right now. You can't control people. Showing the futility of trying to control situations that only he can control. And he says, look, worry gets you nowhere. Have faith in me. Shift, your, shift from worry to faith. The second um, sign that worry's taking over your life is that uh, you choose a safe path over God's path. Choosing what is safe over what is right is neither safe nor right. Um, getting back from India last week, I said it was really something. But 10 years ago, none of that existed. Ten years ago, I set foot on a plane to go over there to meet people I'd only met on Facebook. I, I, had, I had letters in my desk to my family, to my wife and children, and they started all start off with, if you're reading this, I didn't make it back. I had no idea when I set foot on that plane ten years ago what would happen. Um, and now seven trips later and ten years later, the joy that's unreal, and we'll tell you about that next Sunday, but I want to tell you this. This next thing that God has called me to do is the scariest thing I've ever faced. So many of you all know I've written a book on marriage called Eight Things I Wish I Knew Before I Said I Do. And God called me to that. It's also called me to do marriage conferences, to teach this stuff, to, to, to emphasize and strengthen marriage uh, and everything. We're currently doing a pilot study at this church. We've done two sessions. We've got two more in January and March. But I've never been so stressed and unsettled by something in my life. You say, well, why is that? Why, are you so, why is that so scary? Well, because it could fail. Bad. I love the movie Back to the Future. When Marty's sitting there talking with his dad, George, and he's writing stories. And he goes, well, what are you writing, George? And George goes, stories, science fiction stories of visitors visiting us from other planets. And Marty said, well, can I read? He goes, oh, no, no, no. I never, I never let anyone read my books. And he said, well, why not? He said, what if they didn't like them? What if they tell me I'm no good? I get you, George. Because I'd, rather, I'd much rather get on a plane and drive five hours in the middle of nowhere to preach Christ to people who never heard of Jesus before. I wish we did. 
than sit up and teach people about marriage. See, guys, what if my marriage book isn't any good? What if the work that I put out there, everybody just says, oh, that, that's, that's awful. What if these marriage conferences bomb? What if they don't like it? What if they tell me I'm no good? That's in my back of my mind. And I'm telling you this, though, that would let worry, that would, that would mean that worry is guiding my actions and not faith, because that's what God has called me to do. It's so much safer not to, not to put out anything. It's so much safer not to do what God wants you to do. And you risk rejection, and you risk being laughed at, and you risk all these things, risk failure. But also, you also look at the reward. You look at, what, what, at the benefits and the fruit of doing what God wants you to do. It's worth the risk. That's where we battle between worry and faith. One of them's gonna win. So choosing what is safe or what is right is a sign that worry is taking over your life. Third sign is this, that you're still fighting the same spiritual battles you did 10 years ago. Um, still fighting the same battles. Having no victory in your life. No, no victory over sin. No victory over anything. Just the same person you were 10 years ago. Um, see, in America, we've created this thing. Uh, it's called the third category. See, in the Bible, there are only two categories of people. There's lost and there's saved. But in America, we've created this third category. And the, the third category says, it looks like this. I'm baptized, but my life looks no different than anyone else, and I'm, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. Let me tell you, that is not biblical. That person doesn't exist. If you're, thir- if you, if you're laying around in that category right now, <clears throat> I'm telling you, that category doesn't exist. It means you're lost, okay? Um, and so you're still fighting the same battles, and you're still the same person you were when you were saved. <clears throat> that means that worry has dictated. Remember, the worry has grown out and choked out, the, the, choked out your faith, choked out the word of God in your life. <coughs> but there are also three signs that your faith is growing. All right, that's, uh, those are the signs that worry is taking over your life. But there are three signs that, faith is, that your faith is growing. Number one is this is the biggest one. This is my favorite one. I love this. Number one, sign number one, less and less rattled by current events. Look at this. Psalm 112, 67 says this. Surely the righteous will never be forsaken, never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. They will have no fear of bad news. In other words, when your faith is in God, you care less and less and less about the bad news coming at you because you know that your faith is not in news. Your faith is not in this world. Your faith is in God, okay? When the world acts like the world, you don't get rattled. I was talking with, uh, with Ravi, who was our Indian, uh, uh, well, that sounds different, a guy from India, uh, who, who's our contact over there, who's running everything. One of our long journeys out to visit a tribe that had never known Jesus. He was explaining what he was doing, what God had called him to do. He said, I believe the return of Jesus is very soon, brother. And he said, and he got this troubled look on his face. He said, within 200 kilometers of my home, he said, in Demero, there are 157 groups of people, tribal people, that have never heard the name Jesus Christ. And he said, I have this burdens. I can't sleep. I've, it's like a, like, a, like a pebble in my shoe or a grain of sand in my eye. I cannot get these people off my mind. And said, I 
desperately want them to hear the name Jesus. He said, I've contacted 38 of them. And we went to two of them. And uh, he said, they have no church. They have no pastor. They're worshiping trees and rocks. They're giving worship to things that belong to God. And he said, they don't know the one true God. Now, right before this, five minutes before that, we were talking about the governmental persecution of Indian Christians. Right before that, the the Indian prime minister publicly stated that India is a Hindu country and that all non-Hindus need to be expelled. Muslim, Sikh, Christian, you name it. And they're they're a radical government right now. It is now safer to be a Christian in Pakistan than it is in India. Try that one on for size. And I said, how can you go reaching these tribes when the government is persecuting you so much, where it's it's not even safe to live in your own country? And he looked at me with this funny look on his face. I'll never forget it. And he said, government will do what government will do. What does that have to do with us? He said, we have to reach the lost before Jesus returns, brother, and that's all we care about. And I thought of Psalm 112, 6 through 7. I said, this is a righteous man I'm talking to. He has no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. He has had, he's had to live his entire life by faith. He's not worried at all. So I want to ask you, how many Ravis do we have in here today? How many Ravis? How many people have no fear of bad news? We don't fear election results. We don't fear uh, uh, social media, we don't fear this, we don't fear, we have no fear whatsoever because our trust is not in that, our trust is in the Lord. How many of us can say that today? So that's the first sign that you are, your faith is growing. You're less and less rattled by bad news, by world events. The second one is this. You're able to name recent spiritual victories. Able to name them. Colossians 3, 5 through 10 Paul writes this very strongly to us. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, the evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Excuse me. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Amen. Christians, when we, when we are, are, are in, in, imbued with the Holy Spirit, <coughs> we cannot remain the same. We're able to name recent spiritual victories. We were part of a, a, a small group of 20s and 30s-year-olds at, one, at a, one of our former churches. And we had Bible study time. They were wonderful people, great people. But there's this one lady there who just killed me. Just killed me. Her name was Kelly. She was a nice person. Really, really loved great. She, her kids were my youth group and everything. Loved her to death. But every Sunday, everyone, we would be discussing stuff. And she would say something like this. I'm just so mean to my husband. I don't know why he puts up with me. I lose, I lose my, uh, thank you, I lose my, uh, I lose my temper. I say things I don't mean. I don't know even why he stays married to me. Next week, I'm just so mean to my husband. I lose my temper. I say things I don't mean. I don't know why he's even, you know, even he saves married to me. Guess what happens next Sunday? 
I'm just so mean to my husband. I don't know why. I mean, it's the same thing every week. And I was, I was like, <clears throat> we actually took bets on how long it would take for her to say that. Would it, would it be 10 minutes before she said that or, and everything? And I just wanted to grab her and shake her and say, who is in control of your mouth? Who's in control of your attitude? Who's in control of your temper? Who is it? It's you. Why do you stay where you are? Why do you allow this to take over your life? You are a Christian. You've been saved. You've been delivered from that. Why do you live in it anymore? And so my question is, how many Kellys do we have in here who the same week after week after week, we have failed to surrender these things to Jesus and allow him to change us? Why are we having no victory in our lives? It's because we haven't surrendered. But see, if you're living by faith, you're going to have recent spiritual victories. You're going to be able to tell me about the person you led to Christ. You're going to be able to tell me about how your, your prayer life used to just be so sporadic, but now you've been able to maintain it. Uh, you, you're going to tell me about, about the, the, the study patterns that you have, how consistent you are in the Word. You're going to be able to tell me about how you've been able to forgive you've been, these people that you used to be so angry with and everything, but God has just allowed you to release it. You're going to tell me about this thing that used to keep you in bondage, this, uh, an addiction or a, or, a, or a relationship or something like that, and you've broken free of that by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be able to tell me that when you're living by faith. You're going to be able to name recent spiritual victories. If all of your spiritual victories in the past church that means we're dead. That means we're dead. If you're living by faith, they're going to be recent spiritual victories. We have the Holy Spirit within us, Christians. Why do we live in defeat? And the third, sign number three, you're living by faith, increasing love for God and for people. How many of y'all have difficult people in your life? I see about 150 liars out there. Not, not one, not one hand went up. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, 1 John 4, 20 through 21 says this, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love the brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I'm very concerned about the diminishing amount of love I see in this world. The Bible prophesied that, said that because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. I'm gonna call you all to not let your love grow cold towards especially the people in this building, especially the people in your family, and then the people in our community. Do not let your love grow cold. We live by faith. We have increasing love for God and for people, okay, who are made in his image Increasing love. See, where there's division out there, let there be unity in here. Where there is unforgiveness and anger and bitterness out there, let there be forgiveness and joy in here. Where there's separation out there, let there be friendship in here. If you're living by faith, your love for God and your love for people will be increasing. That's the ultimate goal of the Christian. Someone says, well, I, I, I love God. I can get on with that. God, God, God is so good to me and everything, but people, I don't think I can do that. Well, sorry, if you don't love people you have seen, you can't love God who you haven't seen. And you say, well, people are the reason I left the church. People are the reason why I'm not growing in my faith. People, it's Christians that are doing that. Well, to you, I lovingly say this. Peter didn't leave Jesus' circle because of Judas. Judas. 
Judas betrayed Jesus. They didn't stop Peter from being part of the church. Thomas didn't look at Judas and say, well, I can't believe all these hypocrites I'm around. I'm out. No. The disciples didn't allow the actions of one of their, one of their number to sway their faith or to get them to disengage from the mission of Christ. And, we, 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 and so let's just put that excuse, and that's what it is, an excuse, to bed. The actions of people, they said, didn't keep them from the church, from doing the Lord's work. Let's live by faith in God. So guys, let's let these three signs that your faith is growing, let's, let's be less and less rattled by current events. Let's put our faith in God. Think he knows what he's doing? I think, I, I think he knows what he's doing, okay? Second, let's, let's, have some, let's have some spiritual victories. Let's start living in victory. Let's stop spinning our wheels Stop looking at the past, and let's start, let's start winning some spiritual victories. And third, let's just increase in our love for God and for each other. Let us love one another. Let that be the message coming out of this church in downtown Nicholasville, and let it emanate to the corners of the world. God bless you. I love you, and we'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.